This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG-13. Welcome to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, the ultimate film and TV podcast. We are your hosts, James and Anthony. In this episode, let's do Raiders of the Lost Oscars 2023 Awards. Hello, movie friends. Welcome back to the show. It is the official annual award ceremony for Raiders of Lost podcast. This second annual. Second annual. I'm very excited to talk about the picks that we have for all of the Oscar categories this year. Yeah, we did it last year. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. You know, I think people really had a good time listening to that episode. We had so much fun doing it. We're dressed up today. Yeah, we're suited up. I put a lot of water and a lot of gel in my hair to slick it back. You look like you could be in a Chris Nolan movie. Really? Oh, <laughs> yeah. I, I appreciate this. The slick back hair, the suit, the, the polo. polo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's the polo for sure. It's the tenant Inception yeah. wardrobe. Yeah, it looks like a Nolan movie. He wouldn't let you wear those shoes, though. Yeah, but you no know way. what? It's kind of the style but those nowadays. Are nice shoes. But that's the kind of like the aesthetic now and the style with a lot of oh yeah yeah men's yeah. wear. You you can wear a suit with white shoes now. It's become more casualized. All right. Um. Well, this year has been a tremendous year for film, and I can't wait to discuss what we have for all of our selections as well as the categories, because it was a great bounce back year from obviously 2019 was the most successful year of all time in film, likewise the year before that. And we were just cruising. We were, there was $42 million in global sales at the box office for 2019 in film, which is incredible. Obviously, 2020 lockdown, COVID, 2021, not many movies were coming out, pretty weak year. This year was a pretty good bounce back. It's still under $30 million for a global box office, but still a lot of movies came out compared. You could, I bet you more movies came out this year than 2020 and 2021 combined, it feels like. Still, a lot of movies they weren't getting the theatrical release because studios still early in the earlier in twenty twenty two weren't sure about performance and if they'd get views and so they were going straight to streaming. So now I think twenty twenty three is going to be a huge rebound for box office and for the earnings of the for the industry. We'll see. We'll see. Obviously, there's still some inflation there because three movies made up close to four billion dollars, five billion dollars total with Top Gun, Avatar. As well as what was the other big hit this year? Doctor Strange made nine hundred and fifty. So a handful yeah. of movies made like because if it was twenty six million dollars at the global box office, twenty seven million, and you know four movies mm-hmm. took care of five to six billion. Obviously, every year has huge hits like that. It's still you know an underwhelming year. Two years, three years removed, two and a half years removed from COVID. I'm hoping next year is a massive year. I'm hoping we break thirty million, thirty billion next year. And now, when we saw that list of upcoming movies in twenty twenty three this year. They're all, all the major ones are all in theaters. So it's, I think streaming is pretty much gone 
for the the theatrical releasing studios. I think they've they're straying away from theater from streaming releases and they're going to the theaters again. Whereas you have Netflix, obviously, is making stuff just for Netflix, but even Amazon is committed to making films to be theatrically released. So I expect a huge jump this year in box office. And we saw so many great films this year. Not to not only did we get the greatest legacy reboot of all time with Top Gun Maverick, but we had some great original movies. We have Northman from Robert Eggers. We have Everything Everywhere All at Once, which is a fan favorite in a lot of categories from the Daniels. We had movies like Nope from Jordan Peele, his third feature-length film. The Menu was a lot of fun. The Batman was huge. Elvis is a big front-runner for a lot of acting categories, as well as so many great, great, great original stories, great horror movies this year as well. Some duds, obviously. You know, The Gray Man is not getting any nominations. Sorry, everybody. Really? Uh, but, I mean, I thought it was a terrific year. Lots of great original stories. Some solid sequels, and it's it's just a great time for movies I had, right I now. had a wonderful time going to the movies this year, and there were so many great releases, and I think it was such a great bounce back, bounce back from the last two years where obviously there were less movies coming out. Uh, but this year was just like an influx of really cool movies, and it's the best year since 2019, obviously. And I had a terrific time as a film goer and film lover this year. Some other ones to list off: All Quiet on the Western Front, Thirteen Lives, The Banshees of Inisherin, Tar, as well as Pearl was great. X, The Whale, Avatar, The Way of Water, Decision to Leave, Decision to Leave was yeah. great. Yeah, The Worst Person in the World, After Sun, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, and then obviously we had big. Projects from superhero films with Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness, Thor 4, as well as, what was the other MCU, uh, MCU movie? I can't remember. Just It was only a few this year. Just those two? Yeah, those, those two. Then Black then, Adam. Yeah, Black, oh, no, yeah. Black Panther, I already said. Black Panther. Yeah, yeah. Jurassic World Dominion came out this year, the Yikes. 17th film in the franchise. But the worst person in the world, that's not on this year's. Yeah, so it came out in America in 2022, but it was released in 2021. So And it was the international competi- competition film selected from Norway for the 2022 Oscars. So. It was a great year for independent yeah. film as well, not necessarily with the box office grosses, but great original stories. Some did well, most did not do that well the box office. I mean, Some, Tar, yeah. which is a f- really huge contender for Best Picture, made a couple million dollars total. Bones and All didn't make a lot of money. The Whale did okay. Uh, After Sun did okay. So a lot of independent nah, films two did, million. did very mediocre. Yeah, 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 okay, for, yeah. compared to its budget. Yeah, so we'll we'll talk about it. We're actually going to discuss this at our live show, the future of independent film. And not so much that are they going to stop getting made, but is the U.S. market not interested in it anymore? Which is, I mean, this year was an indication that audiences really aren't interested in uh, small independent films and even foreign films, international films really anymore. Because, I mean, yes, Parasite made over $100 million a few years ago, but nobody saw a decision to leave. Nobody saw official competition uh, so I'm not sure that audiences are very interested in international film in America. Outside of Parasite. Yeah. Parasite seems to be just like kind of a rare hit that fortunately got a lot of recognition, which it deserved, but wasn't fully there for the last few years with independent with international film. Also, let's not forget that our man Steven Spielberg came out with a new movie this year, yeah. The Fablemans, which was absolutely sensational. I adored every moment of that movie. Oh, yeah. As well as... Really solid animated films this year. Two specifically stop motion ones that were excellent. We have Marcel the Sho- the Shell of Shoes on, as well as Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, which were terrific movies. Oh yeah, and we had great cinematography, amazing musical scores composed by some 
legendary composers and a lot of new up-and-coming composers. Like John Williams' score for Fablemans is amazing. But then we got a uh, terrific score for everything everywhere at once. And the Northmans was so good. Michael Giacchino for the yeah, Batman. Giacchino. So we're, we're, it's just like new blood mixing with the old blood of Hollywood com- composing that is just fantastic stuff. Just a mixing of blood. Just mixing of blood. It's a big bowl of blood. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to get into our awards? Absolutely. Let's yeah, get let's into Raiders of the Lost Podcast, the second annual show of our awards right before the Oscars have their show. What do we? What should we call our award? A Raider? What did we call it last year? I can't a, remember. Do we just... Did we do a golden a, a Rady a Dundee? <laughs> a Dun- no, we can't. We can't steal the office. We're, it was the Golden Idol. Golden right? Idol, yeah, the Golden yeah, Idol. Golden that's Idol. what we did yeah, from golden Raiders Idol. Lost Ark. Yeah. So we'll do the Golden Idol Good awards. Memory. All right, I'll lead it off. The first category in our Oscar episode is Best Actor in a Supporting Role. We had a lot of terrific competition this year. So far in our listing of nominations is Paul Mescal in After Sun, Kahi Kwan in Everything Everywhere All at Once. Brendan Gleeson in Banshees of Inisherin, Barry Kugan also in Banshees of Inisherin. It's actually pronounced Kugan. Kugan, with the Kugan, Kugan, Kugan. Is this Barry, the final correction? Barry Kugan, uh, yeah. Kugan, yeah. Okay. Kyo- not Kugan, just Kugan. Kugan. Woody Harrelson in Triangle of Sadness, Brandon Perea in Nope, Mark Rylance in Bones and All, and Brian Tyree Henry in Causeway. We also didn't really limit ourselves to the number of nominations for a certain category. We like to have fun. Yeah, we're like, if everyone, if these, all these dudes right here deserve it, they deserve to get nominated. We're not just going to restrict it to five. And so, the winner. Oh, let's talk about those. Okay, okay yeah, yeah. About, You're in yeah. such a rush. Sorry. I'm just excited. <laughs> Slow it down, I want to give out the award. Yeah, we got, we like got 10 awards or something we like that. We, we got, got all We got all, people are listening. They're chilling, all, bro. All day. They're in the, they're in traffic. So, what a stacked list of actors and performances from a lot of great movies. I really enjoy whenever there's two actors nominated or actors nominated for the same movie because it shows how important that film was that year and how talented they are because having both uh, Brendan Gleeson and Barry Keoghan nominated for Banshees of Inisherin shows you how good that movie really is. In the Terrific script. performance. It's always a testament to the script that the, the fourth character in the movie gets nominated. Paul Mezcal is probably the big breakout here for the year. He's a fan favorite. After Sun has been adored as an indie hit this year as well as Brendan Perea, who I think Nope was his really big, big feature yeah. breakout. Yeah. We also have Woody Harrelson, The Legend in Triangle of Sadness, so which good. is excellent. Brian Tyree Henry had a great year. He did Bullet Train and then Causeway opposite Jennifer Lawrence in this film. Deservedly got a, um, a nomination from us. Then Mark Rylance in Bones and All is one of the most terrifying characters I've ever seen in my entire life. I thought he was terrific. And then Kihi Kwan, his legendary return from Temple of Doom to everything everywhere all at once this year. What a Cinderella story for this guy. And let's not forget Mad-Eye Moody, Brendan Gleeson. Amazing in Banshees. Uh, He was terrific. Like, so good. And that guy is such a veteran actor. And to still, like, give us something new and exciting was just, like, incredible from Mark McDonough, what he got out of it. The rapport between him and Colin Farrell is just... Yeah. Some of the best it's in Hollywood. It's not the first time they work together, and it shows. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's like up there with De Niro and Pesci, you know. And they've only made two films, but like the, just the way they work together is amazing. It's like lamb and tuna fish. <laughs> Big Daddy reference. <laughs> Spaghetti and meatball. <laughs> All right, let's uh, announce the winner. So, the Golden Idol for Best Supporting Actor this year goes to. Kihi Kwan for everything, everywhere, all at once. Well-deserved. He stole every scene he was in. He did an amazing job with both the emotional stakes of the performance as well as the physicality of the martial arts. 
Uh, he had a lot of fun and had a great amount of range to work with, and he pulled it off. It's pretty shocking to see he hasn't really done anything since the Temple of Doom, Indiana Jones, back in, what was that, 1985 or something like that? That's a long time in between really just notable movies to be in. Get a nomination. I think he's going to be a frontrunner for the Oscar uh, this year at the Academy Awards, for sure. I agree. He was really great, brought so much depth to that character. He did Kami very well. He's kind of playing multiple characters, sort of kind of like Michelle Yeoh's character was doing, but he, he really just knocked it out of the park. Knocked it out of the park. It there it is. so fun. I love the martial arts sequences with him with the fanny pack and also multiple scenes of really devastating the audience, breaking people's hearts and shedding people's tears be, with that dialogue he's doing opposite Michelle With the goofy comedy. Yeah, it's amazing. He was great. He so, had so much to do. Congratulations to Kihi Kwan on your golden idol. He's going to be here to accept the award. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, we have Best Actress in a Supporting Role. And we Best what? <laughs> actress. Best Actress in a Supporting Role, Michelle Williams for The Fablemans. Carrie Condon in The Banshees of Inna Sharon, Kiki Palmer in Nope, Penelope Cruz in Official Competition, Nicole Kidman in The Northman, Stephanie Hsu in Everything Everywhere All at Once, and Angela Bassett in Black Panther. Again, another stacked lineup, lineup of talent here. Yeah, these are, we got some veteran actresses here who have been nominated a bunch for Penelope Cruz just absolutely floored me in Official Competition. That movie, if you haven't seen it, is so funny. It's about filmmaking, and it's just a terrific film. She stars opposite Antonio Banderas. And Nicole Kidman was wonderful in The Northman. Uh, I won't spoil it because it's kind of a twist with her character. But I was wondering why she was in it. And then then I was like, oh, this is why she's in it. <laughs> I see. She got to really stretch her uh, her acting muscles in that. Carrie Condon, who I had never seen in anything before in Banshees of Inna Sharon, was fantastic and heartbreaking. And such a great, complex, layered character, Stephanie Hsu. Did an amazing job as the antagonist and also as like the emotional heartbeat of everything everywhere at once. She really got to play around with that character. It was so fun, entertaining, but then she really brought in the resonance of the humanity of the character really well. Kiki Palmer was an absolute scene stealer in Nope. Like she just like lit lights up the screen. She's so infectious with that personality. It's her and then the uh, grasshopper. Yeah, the grasshopper. <laughs> the grasshopper's a scene stealer. <laughs> Oh, no, no, it's, uh, what's it called? The Praying Mantis. Praying Mantis, Praying Sorry. Mantis. Yeah, Praying Mantis. <laughs> and then, but with Michelle Williams, I wasn't sure walking into the Fablemans how much of a role she would have, but she broke my heart in Fablemans, and she put on an acting clinic in that film, like, really, like, struck to the core, and I was really impressed with her in that. Plus, Angela Bassett in Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, really stole that entire movie, in my opinion, and was just the most impressive part of the cast, and she did a wonderful job yeah. in that role. Now, there can only be one winner to Best Actress in a Supporting Role. I wonder who's going to be. And the Golden Idol is going to go to Michelle Williams in The Fablemans. Congratulations, Congrats, Michelle, Michelle Williams. She's what a big-time performance. Listener. She plays the mother of Sammy in this role, which is basically Steven Spielberg's mother, the character, because this is a semi-autobiographical film. But a lot of what happens in this movie is based on true events from Steven Spielberg's childhood and past. And I think what she brought to the film was... So much 
like mythos about this director's life and like you always wonder how your favorite artists grew up and what what was what was it like in that household for them to get inspired and and you see how she inspired sammy and you can assume that his mother played that role for steven spielberg in his life when he was young and just to see what kind of person would motivate someone to become one of the greatest directors of all time at such a young age is really terrific, but also seeing the ups and downs of her mental health in the film as well and how the family was torn apart. But I think Michelle Williams just was all over the place, so much range in this role and a terrific performance in her huge and massive talented career. It's one of the best portrayals of depression I've ever seen. And the character is living a lie and she feels trapped and she feels like there's no way out for her in this kind of bubble that she's kind of locked in in this family and and it's it's heartbreaking because for her to find happiness she feels the only way to do that is to basically abandon her family in a way and pursue her own love and her own life and her own happiness and joy and it's a difficult choice to make and she's risking a lot doing it but it takes her many years to come to that realization and it's just it's really gut-wrenching to to watch her children come to terms with that decision and with her struggles with mental health, uh, it's it's a yearly, several years worth of this hardship for the family. But she still pours in so much love and care and tenderness and uh, motherly qualities and, and wonderful, wonderful performance. And I was absolutely awestruck and blown away. I thought it was the highlight performance of the film. Well deserved. All right, moving on to best original screenplay. This is a big one, folks. So... Writing, like we, you all know, we appreciate it, and uh, we have a lot of respect for filmmakers who are able to craft incredible stories from the blank page. It's a daunting task, and not many people can do it, but some of these writers are, are the best working today. So let's get to the nominations. So for Best Original Screenplay, we have Martin McDonough for The Banshees of Inisharan, The Daniels for Everything Everywhere All at Once, Todd Field for Tar, Park Chan-wook and Chung Seo Kyung for Decision to Leave, Ruben Osterlund for Triangle of Sadness, and Steven Spielberg and Tony Kushner for The Fablemans. What a year. What a year. For original screenplays. It's really good. I mean, Martin, Martin McDonough is such a great filmmaker. We love his style. We love his stories. His characters are so interesting. The Daniels knocked out of the park with everything everywhere all at once. Todd Field, what an incredible screenplay and also critique on the current climate of social culture when it comes to cancel culture as well as Park Chan-wook and Chung Seo-kung. Park's one of our favorite filmmakers of all time, and Decision to Leave is a brilliant film, excellent characters and script. Steven Spielberg, Tony Kushner. It's tough to, like, I'm sure, write an autobiographical story about yourself, especially one being honest about what happened in your past, and I'm sure there's yeah. such a personal story to him that it was probably really hard to write and put things in there that maybe he didn't want the world to see, but he ended up probably having to come to terms with a lot of that. Apparently, whenever they were on set, and especially the home sets, uh, Steven Spielberg would break down into tears just when he would see his room or see like the living room or places they went, and it was so personal to him. And it's it's crazy to hear that about someone who has been making movies for 50 years to break down into tears just from walking onto the set of a movie. And Decision to Leave was just, it's a romance, but you've never seen romance like this before. It was so wholly original and unique. And Triangle of Sadness was hysterical oh my and, God. and witty and clever and just an excellent idea. And it has amazing things to say about society, social hierarchies, uh, and 
the elites versus the one the one percent versus the rest of us, and so and also fashion and entertainment industry it had a, it had a lot to say about uh, the culture and the climate of today. But while it was set on this zany dark comedy adventure, it, I thought it was absolutely genius. And there can only be one winner. There can only be one best original screenplay, and that's going to go to. Martin McDonough for The Banshees of Inisherin. What a terrific story, idea. Seems so Shakespearean in this contemporary setting. I love the backdrop of the Irish Civil War that's going on as well. The characters are so fascinating, so well acted. And obviously the four main characters are all nominated for awards tonight at the Raiders of the Lost Oscars. But the story itself is just so unique and interesting. This guy is going to cut off his fingers one at a time if this other guy talks to him and they're old best friends they've been best friends for life and it's interesting and fascinating to find out what would motivate a character to do that and why they would want to do that and i think it's a great study into the human psyche as well as reflection on one's past it and that's an amazing concept the concept to i'm gonna cut off every finger on my hand if you continue to see me like what a great set up for the film but then it's the character development it's the dialogue it's how the story goes nothing happens how how you expect it to happen walking into the film for something that was so small in scope and in a lot of ways simple and minimalist it was full of surprises extremely entertaining and if you get the comedy i saw it with a good crowd and everybody was gut busting laughter and he has this great balance between emotion and laughter where You'll be shedding a tear one moment, and then a character well, the next moment will say a line, it'll make you cackle. And so few writers can do that. It's such a great high-wire act of tones that McDonough has always done a good job of balancing. But I think this is the closest thing in the In Bruges where it was like a straight-up comedy slash drama. Three Billboards was had some funny moments, but it was more heavily a drama, I would say. This one, it had that quirky humor to it. That really made me feel like, oh, I'm revisiting in the Imbruge universe in a way. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Next category, we have Best Adapted Screenplay. The nominees are David Kajanik 
for Bones and All, William Nicholson, 13 Lives, Edward Berger and Leslie Patterson, All Quiet on the Western Front, Darren Aronofsky, The Whale, and Guillermo del Toro, Pinocchio. Lots of great screenwriters here. All Quiet on the Western Front. This is what the third time a feature-length film has been made about that novel. And they did add a lot of new elements to it that had never been done before, having the the signing of the treaty as a main cross-cutting storyline with the war. 13 Lives is just incredible based on a true story. People really need to see this movie and talk about it. It's on Amazon Prime, right? It's an Amazon Amazon original. It's astounding. One of the best movies of the year, hands down. Terrific cast, but the story is just so unreal and like one of those stranger than fiction stories like you can't write it what they had to do to get these people out these kids out of this cave sensational and tragic as well ron howard did an amazing job with that uh david kajanik for bones and all i've never read the book but i assume he did a great job (laughs) the whale darren aronofsky never read that novel but i love the how he always infuses elements of religion in so that's a play Okay, it's a play. So elements of religion and the afterlife in a lot of his films, and also we gotta nominate Pinocchio because it's a story that's one of the most told stories of all time in entertainment. But Guillermo did something really unique with it, and I think animated movies like this deserve to be talked about outside of just that one category of animated films. Hundred percent. There can only be one winner, though. Yeah, and the winner for best adapted screenplay is. Guillermo del Toro for Pinocchio. Guillermo! Congrats, Guillermo. Congrats on your golden idol. If you listen to our podcast, you know we're huge, huge fans of Guillermo. And what he did with Pinocchio was a completely new reinvention of the story. He kept a lot of the same themes, but he made it his own. He added really cool new elements that I never thought of before. I thought the most brilliant element he added was having a son that Pinocchio ended up replacing opening the film. That was just genius, and it made so much sense of Geppetto having an actual son named Carlo, correct? See, si, Carlo. <laughs> <laughs> and then his motivation to make Pinocchio was as a way of bringing his son back. I thought that was like such a brilliant addition to the story that we've seen told, we've read many, many times before. And he used his creativity, his love, obviously, for the monster genre, and fused that into this film. And he really made a very special retelling of a classic tale, which very few filmmakers can do. Well, Excellent. Well Excellent deserved. movie. Moving on to best sound editing. And this is audio production. We have The Batman, Top Gun, Maverick, Everything Everywhere All at Once, Tar, Nope, and Decision to Leave. All excellent nominees for this category obviously the batman was a sensational production all around top gun come on guy we had some microphone inside <laughs> fighter jets flying around it's incredible what they were able to do with balancing and mixing the dialogue and everything and how they were picking up audio in the cockpit by the actors doing all their own production basically one person productions inside cockpits while flying 900 miles per hour was sensational and the dialogue was clearly most of it was recorded on camera I, it, was, it, was, it, was it was great very little adr everything everywhere all at once Really great sound design because we're like entering different dimensions and different elements and we're all over the place with the style of filmmaking. Tar was exceptional with the great balance back and forth of music as well as just dialogue heavy scenes, but great scenes of just 
terrific orchestral music. And, but in the sound design, these noises that yeah. Evelyn keeps hearing. Because she's, sorry, a, she's Evelyn, a musician yeah. and she... Lydia. Lydia, She sorry. can't stop hearing music everywhere around yeah. here. So that, I thought that was really fascinating. Yeah. They, they did... It was just these subtle noises you would hear and they were kind of driving her crazy or she would notice something and being in the same pitch as the music she was writing, which is really interesting. Also with Nope, Jordan Peele's film, film, I thought the sound design of the, well, I don't want to spoil it if anyone hasn't seen the it. Screams. The screams? The, oh my God. The flying saucer sound effects, the, the terror, what's going on inside this, yeah. this flying saucer, those sound effects, scary as hell. And also, decision to leave. Just mm -hmm. a masterfully made film. Everything about it is brilliant. Absolutely. And do you announce the winner this time or is it my turn? You can announce oh, Yeah, it. yeah. I did last time. The winner. Do you have anything else to say? Uh, I just think that the Batman had a lot of great elements, and it wasn't what you typically heard, especially with action sequences. They didn't go super heavy on the punches and kicking. It felt more like it was real, authentic, what these fabrics and textures would sound like if they were being struck. And the Batmobile engine just sold. Oh, yeah. It was the icing on the cake. <laughs> That's one of my favorite <laughs> scenes. It's great engine sound. Whew. It sounds so cool. But there can only be one winner. We should stop saying that. People are probably getting sick of it. What's going to be, Jim? The winner of Best Sound Editing is going to Top Gun Maverick. What an incredible job they did with this production, all the technical aspects of it, because we have they're balancing so many different types of vehicles and engines, as well as, I mean, motorcycles, dialogue. Just the, the fact of picking up that dialogue so clearly while these actors are inside the cockpit filming themselves, doing their hair and makeup, doing their own audio. Took a lot of prep work, took a lot of time figuring out how best to do it. But to actually pull it off so well and so effectively that it seems like it was just seamless. And, and, it, and when you're watching, it's like, oh, this is pretty easy to do, I bet. But yeah. when I'm sure if you're behind the scenes, they took months to train the actors how to do all these things. But I think they did an incredible job. And it, I, you can't understand state how much effort went into this film yeah and just hearing the engines of the planes just hearing them bank and turn and what have you all the maneuvers they do outside in the air it's amazing the sounds they created for this film and obviously those sounds weren't recorded <laughs> that would blow out the microphone whatever you're using so i'm sure most of the sounds of of outside of the jets were just created for this and they did a phenomenal job. I believed every second of it. I bet they were able to pick up some good audio from uh, the maybe, planes. Yes, yeah, maybe some. Yeah. Twenty twenty three, man. That's true. You know, yeah. It's not it's true. It's not, not nineteen fifty six. They got true. some pretty high quality equipment these days. What would what would you be recording on though? With what? Because you'd be flying in like a helicopter or a jet to record, like the exterior shots of. A oh jet. no! I would just mount microphones all over the planes. I guess they mounted cameras to them. Yeah, I suppose. I think the wind might be way too strong for that. You can block that. Well, maybe. We'll have to, I'm going to have to look into that. Yeah, you should. I bet you they could get plenty of good audio from inside the cockpit of the now yeah, I bet. side. I bet. I bet. Good point. But All right. Now let's move on to sound mixing, which is different from the previous awards. Sound mixing is the overall balance of the entire mix of the film. This includes both the music, dialogue, production, ADR, all sorts of sound effects. So, And unfortunately, the Academy Awards have merged these two into one category yeah. now, but we like to recognize both. They're very different departments, completely different departments. And so the sound mixing nominees this year are Top Gun, Everything Ever All at Once, Nope, Tar, The Batman, and Decision to Leave, all the same nominations because they all just, the, the sound, sound. they're the best sound of the year for all those films. And again, so this is how well does the entire picture match together? Some people I remember complained about Dune last year 
about it being too loud at times. About I loved the, it. About the sound mix being ah! <laughs> of the of the musical score being a little too overwhelming at times. Uh, I remember Tenet had a lot of bad critical feedback about its sound mixing. So this is that part of sound creation of the mixing of the entire. Uh, audio audio experience and so but it's not like a lot of filmmakers yeah. don't know what they're doing like when you're seeing a chris nolan movie it's because he's mixing his movies for imax format the the real imax because that's how he wants you to see his movies that's why some theaters it might not sound super well it might be too loud at parts maybe the Hans Zimmer's drums are just in your too face epic. <laughs> <laughs> so you know it's not always perfect in every single theater because People like him, and they mix. He's their, stubborn. He mixes. Yeah, he's, he's stubborn. stubborn as hell he's because he's like, guy. if you want to see my movie, go see it in IMAX. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, I don't care about anything else. It's, <laughs> this is the way I want it. <laughs> and so, obviously, it's a very nuanced profession that most people are unaware of, but it is so important and vital to a film really working. And now, the award for best sound mixing this year is going once again to Top Gun Maverick. They just did a phenomenal job, where Kaczynski. Hired Hans Zimmer for the score. He also had Lauren Balfalfum, but also Henry um, Baltimore, I think is the name of the guy who did the first Top Gun score. And he came up with the theme. Those three made the music together. Now, the music perfectly complemented the sound design of the film, whether it be these in Faltermeyer. Faltermeyer. Harold Faltermeyer. <laughs> I was way off. I was way off. <laughs> but the music did perfectly complement the sound design of the film. These incredible production pieces that they made for the jets, for these explosions, for gunfire, all sorts of things happening. And the score just felt like it was perfect, seamlessly blended into that for the entire experience of the film. And I saw it in 4DX, and it sounded terrific in 4DX, but I think IMAX was the best sound that I heard of it. And it was just a really wonderful audio experience. Moving on to the next category. Let's move on. Let's talk about best Editing. Oh, yeah. You know how much we appreciate editing. We like to talk about it as much as we can on every episode. Specific editors really bring a final touch to a movie that really transcends it to a different level. And editing is incredibly important. Talking about sound and editing, those are so integral to your movie. And if they're not very good, your movie ain't going to be great. They're very underrated crafts because these are people behind the scenes that you don't see. And they always put these people in the awards before the show starts nowadays, and so you never get to see them accept their awards, but for Raiders of the Lost Oscars, they are going to get their due. Front and center. We they're, have, they're even here. For nominees, <laughs> Paul Rogers for Everything Everywhere All at Once, Kim Sangboom for A Decision to Leave, Sarah Broshar and Michael Kahn for The Fablemans, Kahn, Nicholas Monsoor, Nope, Christopher Donaldson and Rosalind Kalu for Women Talking. And the winner for best editing goes to take a deep I'm one, nervous, Anthony. I'm nervous. I'm nervous. Kim Sang Boom for Decision to Leave. I, we can't emphasize enough how good this movie is and how well crafted it is from every technical aspect. And the editing itself is really important to this movie because we have multiple flashbacks in time as well as great cross-cutting between characters and their storylines that kind of get blended together, seeing from different perspectives earlier on in the film, then moving into later on to the film, getting a new perspective for some of the same events that we've already seen or known about, but just from a different angle or from someone else's eyes and POV. And Park Chan-wook was very creative with his camera work, with his setups, and you can tell he was clearly picturing how he wanted to edit the film while he was making it. And the editing fine-tuned everything but also added the elements of horror at sometimes or 
zany comedy at sometimes like the flashback of of the of the mountainside was really funny and then you have the cliffside almost climax near the end and you're like oh my god is this gonna happen and that was like frightening but it was really how they edited that scene and went slow with it to build the suspense and it's a very creative film stylistically it might not look like it on the surface but on second and third viewings you can really see what the filmmakers were doing how every camera movement was so precise and how every every edit mattered and made a significant impact on every beat of the film and i just felt like in terms of the the craft of filmmaking for editing this was just a standout for me i think everything ever all at once was fantastic as well and they did a paul rogers did an amazing job meshing together all these different verse multiverses and made it make sense for the audience, which was so difficult, especially when they were working with such a wide palette at a certain point in the third act of the film. But for me, Decision to Leave was just absolutely stunning. The craftsmanship and the editing had a lot to do with the story working. And The Fablemans was also really great, too. I think that was great editing as well. That stood out to me for sure. But, you know, Decision to Leave, what a film. Go watch if you haven't seen it yet. It's, It's really astounding. Yeah, it's great. Terrific cinema. Before we continue, the best way to support Raiders of the Lost Podcast is to become a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. This is the ultimate way to support our show. It keeps the lights on. We have different tiers of support. We have $2, $5, $10, $25, and $100 tiers. Each one comes with an awesome set of perks. Patreon is the reason why we're able to do the show full-time. So thank you so much for the support around the world to our wonderful patrons. This episode is sponsored by our friends at MoviePosters.com. Use our special promo code Raiders10, you know it, Raiders10 at MoviePosters.com to get 10% off your order today. They have a gigantic selection of pretty much every movie and TV show imaginable in their poster library, as well as all sorts of sizes, framing, and even backlighting for your poster needs. So again... For all of your poster needs, go to MoviePosters.com and use our special promo code RAIDERS10 to get 10% off your order today. So let's move on to the next technical category, visual effects. Now, visual effects have obviously advanced to incredible lengths this day and age. However, I do think that, ironically, a lot of films made in the 2000s sometimes look better than the CGI we see nowadays. Oftentimes. Yeah. Looking at you, Thor 4. But there are several instances this year where the CGI and visual effects were perfect, stunning, and really groundbreaking in a lot of the ways. And these filmmakers are still pushing the envelope of what can be done. Now, the nominations for visual effects this year are Avatar, The Way of Water, The Batman, Top Gun Maverick, Everything Everywhere All at Once, All Quiet on the Western Front, Nope. And. I'm sorry. That's all quiet on the Western <laughs> yeah, Front yeah, as well. Yeah, you, you did the acronym. I was like, did I say that already? <laughs> now, the, these films are terrific. A lot of them are more minimalist CGI. The Batman did a wonderful job with its CGI. Kind of like hid in plain sight a lot of CGI. It's kind of similar to what Chris Nolan will do. Matt Reeves, I think, obviously with Planet of the Apes, the CGI is front and center. But with this film, it was really disguised. And he would, he would build out sets with CGI a lot of times. And obviously that huge chase, some of that was CGI. But I think that when you shoot a lot of stuff practically, when you do add CGI, it makes the CGI work better. When you don't rely on it, then it makes it 
more impactful, I think. I also think that people would be shocked how much of the Batman was filmed with those massive LED screens, LCD screens behind the actors on the set. A lot of even that chase sequence, those great sunset skyscraper shots. A lot of this movie was shot with the LCD screens behind characters and actors. Even Bruce riding his motorcycle, a lot of those are with an LCD screen in the background. And blended it so well that you would have no idea it looks better than shows like the mandalorian that really started doing it really commonly these days with productions but man they really took it to a new level with the batman and greg fraser's cinematography it just blended so well and the show-stopping sequence for cgi is the flooding of the city which looked fantastic water is always so difficult to do but they pulled it off really well top gun maverick same thing the practicality helps in with the production of the cgi and visual effects where when you did see the visual effects, it felt real and it very much blended together. And, and it got to the point where you're, you're like, is this CGI? Oh, I don't think so. Wait, maybe that. No, I don't think I, I don't think that's CGI. It probably surprised people how little there, CGI there is in yeah. Top Gun Maverick. But the, the amount they do use was for, I think that bridge was CGI. Which one? The bridge they all flew under. Oh, yeah, definitely. But it looked good. Yeah, definitely. You know I, mean? yeah, I doubt yeah. they actually did that stuff. <laughs> no, no, no effing way, dude. No effing way. They flew the jets, not the actors. Yeah, they, yeah. they were being yeah. piloted by actual pilots but they're but not gonna do that move the explosions <laughs> or the explosions and stuff that that was cgi and fake but yeah, for a, sure majority of that flying was real yeah and i think the best cgi we saw in that film was the opening sequence with that test plane that the that he flies what a gorgeous shot man him above flying the above the stratosphere like oh my god it looks so good so that was my favorite piece of visual effects in that film and then all quiet on the western front did a, an amazing job building out the sets, extending the battle sequences. They built a lot, a lot what we saw, but then they just made it look huge, the landscapes or what have, what have you. A lot of blood and gore and stuff, that was a lot of CGI. Some of the CGI yeah. in All Quiet on the Western Front actually like took me a little bit out of it. I think the machine guns on the tanks, I was like, that's definitely CGI, but it does add to the movie. But th- that was really the only noticeable. But obviously some of the blood splatter and stuff like that, that was for sure CGI. Yeah, yeah. And then Nope. Ultimately, the flying saucer was amazing and what a fantastic visual effect and design of the creature. And when it is opening up and revealing its true face to everyone, I was like floored by it. It was insane. And can we appreciate the complexity of that cloud yeah, for doing the cloud. that for CGI? Yeah, it's the incredible. Great. The cloud was great. And but then the- we have Avatar, The Way of Water, which was just insane. It was unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Do you want to uh, announce the winner? The winner for Best Visual Effects at Raiders of the Lost Oscars annual number two event, <laughs> in case you weren't sure, located in Los Angeles, California, is going to Avatar The Way of Water, a film that took 13 years to make, something like that, right? Yeah. It's incredible for a three-hour and 20-minute movie. It flew by, just absolutely blew me away. I couldn't believe what I was watching was fake. I mean, we talked about in our episode breaking down the film, but... I mean, we we everyone doubts James Cameron. The, the, I always the say, trash, what do I always say? The trash talk of James Cameron on film Twitter and film talk and everything that I've been seeing the last year is just so confusing to me because of what his he's done in his career and his repertoire and his confidence and what he's been able to pull off this century alone with three films all breaking a billion dollars at the, at the box office. Well, no, I'm sorry, Titanic was 1999. Yeah, definitely was. Was it 99 or 98? Not this century. Maybe right. might have been ninety seven. So I mean, I mean, this century he's made two movies that have yeah. broken yeah, a billion, still... broke two because the next one's going to break two billion. So he's made two yeah. movies this century that have broken two billion dollars because you know this one will. It's incredible, but it's just steamroll in there. What they accomplished with the technology 
and developing everything they did with what a digital for the last several years, just making this tech to be able to make this movie and creating these virtual productions and 3D sets and new style of filmmaking. I, I still can't believe it when I'm in theaters and when I was watching Avatar The Way of Water, I, I couldn't believe it was fake. I couldn't believe it was CGI. I, I just don't know how the hell they do it, but <laughs> they do it. it. It's remarkable. It really is. It's the best visual effects I've ever seen in my life. And I was absolutely floored by there's so many shots and so many moments where I was like, how is this not? I was like, this looks so real. And it was especially the insert shots. I was like, oh my God, this is CGI. It makes Avatar yeah. look like 2D. Yeah, it makes, <laughs> it makes Avatar look dated. It's crazy. Yeah, it was uh, it was obviously just the most one of the most impressive feats of modern filmmaking I've ever seen. And for someone who doesn't like a lot of CGI, this is a different thing because it's all CGI. And somehow James Cameron and his brilliant team figured out how to make it feel like it was really happening in front of you. And I was just, yeah. um, I was so amazed by it. We talked in depth about all the technology they created in our episodes. So make sure to go check that out. We just posted mm -hmm. it like three weeks ago after we saw it. Yeah. For Avatar Wave of Water. Incre incredible work. Next category, we have best makeup and hairstyling. And it was a great year for this category. We have Naomi Don, Mike Marino, and Zoe Tahir for The Batman. Adrian Moreau, Judy Chin, and Marie Bradley for The Whale. Michelle Chung and Anissa Salazar for Everything Everywhere All at Once. Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, we have Joel Harlow. And then we have Shane Thomas, Mark Collier, Jason Baird, and Luis Colston for Elvis. This was an impressive year when it comes to prosthetics specifically because we have The Whale. Brendan Fraser's prosthetic suit was seamless. It looked real. One of the best I've ever real. seen in, in film ever, of all time. And then also Elvis, there was a lot of prosthetic work done, not only on Austin Butler, but specifically on Tom Hanks to make him look like the Colonel, look like a different human being. But the, the makeup and hairstyling for other films like The Batman was terrific. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Michelle Chung and Anissa Salazar. So Michelle Chung is the makeup department head and Anissa is the hair department head. What they were able to do in terms of creativity and pretty much doing whatever they wanted to do. I'm sure the Daniels are like, whatever you can think of, Let's do it. Let's yeah. do something out there. And there are so many different shots. And I'm sure Stephanie Shu had so much fun not just playing this role, but she's in so many interesting outfits and makeup designs and hair designs. And what they did was just like the structures of her hair. And also, obviously, Michelle Yeoh, similar effect, lots of different sequences with different types of hairstyles and makeup. But I think what they did with Stephanie Shu in that film was just, just a blast and probably just a fun thing to do on set It seemed like day. a dream job for a team like that. And Elvis, uh, and Elvis, everything uh, that was terrific. But and then Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, specifically that opening like act and the opening thirty minutes, saw a lot of terrific hairstyle design and makeup work done. And I thought they just did a terrific job in that film as well. And then Batman with the the black eyes. Yeah, I mean, you gotta gotta get nominated gotta just, for just for that. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Matt Reeves. Because <laughs> it looked great. Now the winner for best makeup and hairstyling is going to go to. Michelle Chung and Anissa Salazar for Everything Everywhere All at Once, a very much deserved award. They did phenomenal work. And like we were just talking about, just so many different styles of makeup and hair and things you've never seen before in your entire life and things that you just want to watch, rewatch the movie for just to see the looks again. One of my favorite aspects of the film was what's she going to be wearing next and what's her hair going to look like next and what kind of makeup is she going to have next. And I found that to be an exciting part of the film and something I was looking forward to from scene to scene. And they did a remarkable job 
looked like they just had a blast doing it. And it was so creative. And it suited every outfit that she wore. It wasn't like they were just going like, hey, let's just do this. It was like the hair and makeup balanced out the wardrobe, which was also brilliant, really seamlessly and, and seemed to work with each other and coexist with each other naturally. And the team did a remarkable job. They definitely deserve this award. Absolutely. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Okay, next up, we have the award for Best Animated Film. We had a lot of great animated films this year. I gotta say, first we have Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, then Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, The Sea Beast, and Enter Galactic. I like how this year we're we're beginning to see, I think with uh, Into the Spider-Verse, creativity in the animation departments. Evolving. Evolving, trying new things really stretching the boundaries of animation in a lot of ways. And we're seeing the early signs of that. The Sea Beast is an example of that. Enter Galactic is an example of that. Puss in Boots, obviously, is a more traditional CGI animated film. Marcella Shells with Shoes On. It's so mostly animated, so we added it to this category, even though obviously there's live action. But like the majority of it is, is, is stop motion, which I was shocked by how when I looked up behind the scenes, like, they built just like these sets and they were, they just filmed them like All that. All of Marcel's structures. Yeah, it was, it was really <laughs> wonderful to see the behind the scenes of that. And then Guillermo del Toro making his first stop motion film, which was absolutely glorious to behold with Pinocchio. But the winner of Best Animated Film this year is Guillermo del Toro for Pinocchio. I found the stop motion to be very unique and a, a style that I hadn't seen before because... He blended his cinematography style and his color palette into the stop motion cinematography. And for if you're looking at the lighting, it is absolutely remarkable, so artistic, so creative, and it felt like it was like shot by real, like legit cinematographers. It wasn't just stop motion lighting, which we'll see sometimes, and where everything is lit. But he was lighting it in ways where it was like so cinematic, and the contrast of warm yellow tones and cool blue tones, cayenne and teals that Guillermo likes to do. It was just marvelous to take on and this new look for Pinocchio. I found it sensational. It's incredible to see that this is his first animated or his first stop motion film because it is one of the best I've ever seen in my entire life. And Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio absolutely deserves this award. What a special film. Timeless. Lovely. Moving on to best production design. This is one, oh, of, my, yeah. one of my favorite categories every year. For this one, we have James Chinlun for The Batman, Kristen Goldbeck and Milena Kupkva for All Quiet on the Western Front, Ethan Tubman for The Menu, Ryu Sengi for Decision to Leave, Craig Lathrop for The Northman, Jason Kisvarde for Everything Everywhere All at Once, 
and Catherine Martin. Karen Murphy for Elvis. Tough category to select a winner for. Obviously, the Batman was sensational. So interesting. Huge sets. Never seen a Batman movie quite like it before. All Quiet on the Western Front. Unique war film, but nothing we've never seen before, but they still did, I think, a terrific job with their production design and just a retelling of the story we'd seen before. The menu, not many sets, but I think they did a terrific job designing them. It was them. perfect. Yeah. Decision to leave, same kind of thing. Very purposeful design in their sets and, and unique and almost sterile in a lot of ways, and it fit every scene perfectly. The North one with Craig Lothrop, lots of authenticity brought into that production. Everything everywhere all at once. Awesome sets, huge designs. Same thing with the hair and makeup. They were all over the place with creativity. And Elvis was phenomenal. That maybe had, what, 7,000 sets <laughs> so in it? So many sets. <laughs> and then so the Batman, we threw it on there because not just from the sets, but also the production design of the vehicles. The Batmobile was so cool. It was terrific. And then the menu, the design of the food. I mean, that's part of the production yeah. design. And the food was stellar. And they both were like, it was so funny, but then all to see because they were like obviously roasting that industry, but then also it was like beautiful to see in a way. And I, the food designs really stand out of that film. And then I think that with everything overall, once they did a really impressive job with the modest budget they had to make it feel so much bigger than it really was. And then the Northman was just so beautiful and incredible to see what they built for these sets, which. Involved a lot of long takes and intricate camera work, and they pulled it off incredibly well. And speaking of long takes and intricate camera work, the winner of this award had a ton of that. Mm -hmm. And we're going to give it to All Quiet on the Western Front for Kristen Goldbeck and Milena Kabovka. Very tragic film. And the set design, like I said, we've seen World War One movies before. I mean, 1917 was a terrific example. But I think this one stands out visually, not with just their incredible cinematography, but their production design and set design bring in that second storyline of the events of the peace treaty being signed. And I think just different elements of a world war that we'd never seen before, like after that first battle and the big battle and they're, you know, they're back at that giant mansion with their general. Uh, that was interesting set, uh, incredible production design, but just, you know, watching the world change for these characters who are just living their normal lives, being amped up and convinced to go to war and how not just, the character changes, but the production design changed drastically so much as well when they get to war. And what they did with those, the war sequences, not just on the surface of all the tunnels and everything, but just inside the tunnels, inside the barracks. It was really terrific design. And also, I found it so fascinating, the contrast of elite lifestyle and the elitist homes and settings and where they spend their time contrasting with the derelict places that soldiers are living in. I found that to be an amazing thing to explore within the film that worked out so well. And I was it, it, so impressed and awestruck at times with the sets they created. Well-deserved, well-deserved. Next up, we have costume design, which is a category I really love too. So this year we had some great costumes. So we have Shirley Carada has been nominated for Everything Everywhere All at Once, Jacqueline Duran for The Batman, Linda Moore for The Northman, Albert Walski for Amsterdam, Ariane Phillips for Don't Worry Darling, and Lissy Crystal for All Quiet on the Western Front. Just like the hair and makeup for Everything Everywhere, Shirley Carada was able to just be as creative as she wanted and had it looked like she was just having so much fun creating these costumes. And it's they've become like now iconic like pieces of costuming, and you see the memes of them all over the place. Online. Halloween costumes too. Yeah, just really impressive. 
I had a blast. Um, like I said, with the hair and makeup, just watching what she would be wearing next in uh, every universe. What's going to happen? And even like the design of the, the headsets that they're wearing is, is super funny. And it was just such a great bolt of energy that added that was injected into the film. And then the the multiverse travel, especially with Michelle Yeoh's character, it was just fantastic design. And then the the costume for the Batman was terrific and so unique and unexpected and a really new take on it. And the Riddler design was really fascinating, true to, you know, kind of like what a person who would be doing these things would maybe dress like. But well, based also, off the Zodiac. Yeah, based off the Zodiac. And I found it to be absolutely brilliant, that costume design. Amsterdam, obviously the film did not impress us, but the costuming was wonderful for sure. It was wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> And then, don't worry, darling. Looked great. (laughs) (laughs) Arian Phillips did a wonderful job, but (laughs) the movie itself, not so much. But it was, damn, it was well-costumed. Everyone looked very good. (laughs) Now, the award for best costume design this year goes to Lissy Crystal for All Quiet on the Western Front. The costuming is really ingrained into the storyline of the film. It opens with the cleaning of the clothes of dead soldiers and then the repurposing of them for the new the new recruits. And so it's so important to the story arc and the thematic elements of the film. They did a wonderful job with costume design. Everything felt so real. The aesthetics were insane. I felt like I was watching real soldiers at war. I love the contrast of the boys in their clean outfits, excited for war to a year later. And you can just see it in their clothing. You can see it in their faces, uh, the, the, the wear and tear of war and what it's had on their, on every part of them. And then also the aftermaths of the battles, especially the last act of the film. Uh, everything was just so well-crafted in the production of this film. And I personally believe the best aspect of the film was probably the costume design for sure. I completely agree. Yeah. We did a great breakdown of that movie as well, and mm-hmm. that was one of the highlights we had about that film was the costume design and wardrobe because it was sensational, realistic, and authentic. <laughs> Authenticity. Authenticity. Oh, yeah. Let's move on to a big one. Oh, yes. Best International Feature Film. The nominees are Decision to Leave, Triangle of Sadness, Banshees of Inisherin, RRR, All Quiet on the Western Front, and close. A great year for international film. Highly recommend checking all of these out if you haven't seen any of them. Even RRR we had to recognize because that was such a fun movie. Huge hit and a sequel yeah. is in production. So what if he fights a tiger? We had a, you can still get it. You can throw it in. Had a blast get, watching that movie. still get nominated for an Oscar. One of the funnest yeah. movie experiences I've had in years as well as, you know, we've been talking about Banshees of Anna Sharon all day and Decision to Leave, All Quiet on Western Fronts. All these movies deserve recognition and they deserve you to watch them if you love film. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. And Triangle of Sadness, I loved. It was so funny. And another great film was Official Competition. And these are just, it was a really good year for international film. Although, obviously, like we said earlier, they didn't do well box office wise. I still think that they're doing pretty well streaming wise. And hopefully, over the next year, more people watch these films. And the winner for Best International Feature Film is... Decision to Leave, one of our favorites of the entire year, our best international for the entire year. What a production, what a film and story. Park Chan-wook is a master at his craft. 
one of the best filmmakers on this goddamn planet today. <laughs> he's got a great filmography. Everyone obviously knows him from Old Boy, but he's made so many great movies. The Handmade was terrific. He made that four or five years ago as well as Thirst is excellent as well. The guy's filmography is stacked. He's so talented, so creative. He's a disturbing yet enticing <laughs> filmmaker. Provocative movies, provocative stories and characters, unique ideas. And, you know, he's he's just a rare filmmaker. He's a once-in-a-generation storyteller. And he's still at the peak of his, at the height of his powers. He's, I think he's going to be a filmmaker like Steven Spielberg, who just always makes great movies. And he's so great at adapting. Yeah. Because we talked about this in our breakdown of Decision to Leave, how he's adapting to technology and using it as an advantage in his movies and using it in interesting ways where no one else is in terms of, like, the way he uses smartphones in his movie decision to leave to tell a story and to have characters talk because, you know, he wrote the script where these two characters are texting a lot, but how do you show that interesting in a movie? He gives us POV shots of inside the goddamn phone looking at the characters as they're typing and yeah. we're seeing like a, a warped view of the text. It's so fascinating and so interesting. And when you watch it, you're like, duh. Yeah, of how course. come I've never thought of doing how that? How come yeah. no one's ever thought of that? Yeah. Obviously because no one's a genius like Park Chan-wook <laughs> is with storytelling, and it just makes sense, and he's so great at adapting to changing times. It's a really wonderful film, and it's actually got, like, such a great ending, and it makes, like, the the more, I, the more I'm removed from it, the more I think about it. Yeah, it's, you know one, that, I mean? it's that movie this year that, like, I can't get out of my head. Yeah. Like, there's, like, three or four of them. Mm -hmm. Next up, we have Best Original Score. Obviously, you know that we love listening to movie scores, so we're big on this one. The nominees this year are... John Williams for The Fablements, Michael Giacchino for The Batman, Tyler Bates for Pearl, Robin Carolan and Sebastian Gainsborough for The Northman, Son Lux for Everything Everywhere All at Once, and Hildur Gunnatir for Women Talking. This is a very impressive list of musicians and composers. A couple Oscar winners here. Yeah, a few Oscar winners. John Williams just once again comes up with amazing music like he always does. And it just obviously fits perfectly with Steven Spielberg. The Batman theme was terrific. And I really love the Riddler theme, too. It was an excellent song. I love Tyler Bates, and he took Time West Direction to go very classical with the score. And it felt like a score that you would hear in the in the 40s. And then blended with like modern horror elements, which is really fun to hear. The Northmen, the sounds they created... The guttural stuff, the chants, and it just like felt like I was in a different culture and a different world in a lot of ways. It was the first score those guys ever made, too. That's impressive. That's crazy. And then Hildur Gudenter, she's an Oscar winner for Joker. She also did Tar, but this Women Talking score is obviously better, but also it's shown more in the film as opposed to Tar, which is quite, quite, quite limited. Because a lot of the music in Tar is yeah. just orchestral music being yeah, played. Yeah, exactly. And then Sunlocks knocked it out of the park with everything everywhere all at once. I found it to be a great blend of genres, styles, cultures, while also balancing both the emotional heartbeat and the comedy of the film. What a great year. Yeah. And there's so many other great uh, scores this year, but these are, I think, are our favorites. And I, I loved Hildor's score for Women Talking. It's so interesting and unique. So many different sound effects that she's creating with her. She like, creates sound design with her scores, which I think it's is like so what fascinating. Hans does. Yeah. So I think that's why she's so talented. And she obviously was recognized with Joker, creating such a great atmosphere and tone with her music for that film, because that movie would not even be close to the same disturbing quality it has if it wasn't for Hildur's score. But I think she brought that element of being able to create a great atmosphere in the story with women talking. Yeah. And then, obviously, the Fableman's John Williams. He's the GOAT, best all time. And the Batman, 
I li- that's my that was my number one most listened oh, yeah? to score for 2022 with my Spotify rap. Was it album number one album too? Is uh the Batman theme I think or, or one of the tracks from the Batman was my number one song. Gotcha, gotcha. I love the theme, it's but um theme. I think it was the Halloween nights. What's oh, it called? the first one they released. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that track, no something on Halloween night. Or, I can't remember what it's called. Yeah, but I know what you mean really great score. But the winner for best original score this year is. Robin Carolan and Sebastian Gainsborough for The Northman. Great job, guys. Great job. So this score, it really elevated the film. It made it special. Uh, when you listen to it on its own, you're like, how do they like record this? And so many incredible effects and sounds were made and recorded. And uh, it's nothing you've ever heard before in a film score. And it obviously took a lot of inspiration from the culture that the film is based on, the instruments used in that culture the kinds of vocalizations you'll hear. And it was, it just felt like I was in Viking world and listening to that music while the film was on was really a major part of me falling into that world and the illusion and just feeling like I lost myself in this, in this place. And the score brought it to new heights and really made it fly. And it's Robert Eggers movie. So it's going to be trippy as hell. (laughs) And this music really helps you take, the audience to that spot in those places like when they're under the under like the floor or in that basement yeah, and they're yeah, doing yeah. like the yeah. wolf thing with uh William Defoe going crazy the music is wild in this movie plus whenever they're attacking a village or battling it's just really impressive sounds and i never really heard anything like it, it some elements reminded me so much of king arthur the daniel pemberton score from oh, yeah, yeah, movie yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Daniel, daniel pemberton yeah. did that right mm-hmm. and I, th- I thought some elements sounded like that but they really just blew my hair back with this music it's it was terrific. an awesome movie too yeah. so good all right getting into some other cool categories here next up we have best cinematography and what a year it was we have greg fraser for the batman who just won the year before with our show with dune right dune. <laughs> kim, <laughs> kim ji young with decision to leave james friend for all quiet on the western front emmanuel lubezki i don't know if you've ever heard of him for bardo <laughs> Janice Kaminsky for The Fablemans. Or Giannis. Giannis. Sorry. Yeah. Is Janice Devaney for The Fablemans? <laughs> Arseni Kakachurin for Bones and All. And Yaren Blaschk for The Northmen. Beautiful cinematography this year. We had some exceptionally, exceptional looking movies this year. The Batman, Greg Fraser, one of our favorites working today. So talented. Decision to leave. What Kim Ji Young did with this movie, I think, will be studied for a long time. I think it deserves revisits specifically for its cinematography, let alone everything else. All Quiet on the Western Front, incredible, great cinematography. For me, it just looked a little too similar for 1917, but yeah. that's just because they're similar settings, similar stories. Obviously, yeah. they're going to look Digital very similar. cameras, yeah. Same cameras, yeah. Bardo, I mean, Emmanuel Lebeski, probably the best working today, one of the best all time. You know, he's up there with him and Roger Deakins. They're, they're the goats, man. The Fablemans, Giannis, he's been working with Steven Spielberg for a pretty long time, and he still manages to make the movies look different, but keeping the tone that, you know, Steven has in all of his movies. And I really love what they did with the 16 millimeter and 8 millimeter footage. Exactly. Yeah, it was so fun. Yeah. That's why we love the editing for that movie specifically, too. The bouncing back between formats. Then Arseni Kachaturin with Bones and All. What a beautiful film. You know, it, it reminded me of a movie like like Brokeback Mountain as these beautiful landscape shots of America and the Midwest and different parts of the country and just what they're able to capture 
with the beauty of the world these characters are in as well as the, the horrific nature of what they do to people and the gore in this movie was captured so well with the cinematography and then Yaren with the Northman. Are you kidding me? That movie looked terrific. So many great long takes. Yeah. With these huge sets. Just artistic filmmaking. And then Fablemans and Bones and All, I believe, are the only two on this list that were shot on film. Everything else is digital, but still looks fantastic. I I really think the Northman did a great job with its color grading. It was fantastic. And they did a lot of great day-for-night sequences that really looked believable as nighttime sequences. Just like Nope with Hoyt Van yeah. Hoytema. Yeah. We should probably nominate Wait, why, oh, why yeah. did we nominate nope, him? Nope is nominated. Yeah, Ho- Nope is ter- nope's nominated. incredible. That yeah. is one of the best-looking movies I don't of the know year. why I didn't put that on the list. I can't believe we forgot to. Sorry. That's, you did this list. That's Anthony's fault. No, you did this That's one. Anthony. You did it. Anthony. I didn't add Emmanuel Lubezki and Bardo. We both did it. Right, nope is nominated. I'm, we're saying it right now. Sorry. Sorry. Hoyt Van Hoytema is nominated for Nope. He's, he's the man. <laughs> <laughs> but the winner for Best Cinematography this year from Raiders of the Lost Podcast is Kim Ji Young for Decision to Leave. I think that's the most awards for a movie so far yeah, this year. Yeah, it's right it's, on top right now. It's like four wins. And I mean, the, the the cinematography is beautiful and it has so much to do with the storytelling and it's really tied to the structure of the editing as well as how the story is unfolding. And every shot is so important and done with so much care. It might not look like it, but it is. And... Uh, Park Chan Wook is just this master genius of understanding the film craft and the production elements of a film where he makes it feel like nothing else. And we've seen the investigation drama a thousand times. We've seen cops investigating a murder case, the mystery. But the way he films it is unlike anything else. And it really makes it feel like it's like its own genre and like you'd never seen it this way before. And I just remember watching the film just being awed by every image, whether it be a simple insert shot or this incredible, beautiful wine or whatever. Nighttime photography was fantastic as well. The way they lit the rooms was beautiful. It felt practical most of the time, but also still beautiful and effortless in a lot of ways. I was just absolutely stunned by everything that the camera did in this film. Yeah, lots of different locations, you know, not to mention that giant cliff, yeah, mountain rock thing that they're up. So lots of different elements. It's, it seems almost surgical in its artistic quality. It's so complex, a lot of these sequences, and they're all layered. They all have something to do with each other, and there's so many sequences that there's so many different meanings be- behind each shot, whether it's them in the interrogation room or they're in the apartment in front of that wallpaper that is shaped as wa- waves or mountains. Depends on the perspective you're looking at it. But every shot in this movie has so much purpose behind Whether it. Whether it's someone eating. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's incredible. And it's sensational. It is an incredible movie. We highly recommend you watch it if you haven't seen it yet. And if you have seen it, then you know what we're talking about. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Congratulations. Next Jim up. Young. Next up. Wait, no, you say this one. Oh, yeah, I did my last turn. one. Yeah. Oh, big one here. Best director of 2022. The Daniels for Everything Everywhere All at Once. Todd Field for Tar. Robert Eggers, The Northman. Steven Spielberg, The Fablemans. Park Chan-wook, Decision to Leave. Gina Prince-Bythewood, The Woman King. Jordan Peele, Nope. And Lila Nogbauer for Causeway. You've been hearing us talk about pretty much all these films all episode. Such incredible craftsmanship in every one of these movies. Every decision made was the right one for them films. And 
just what a great year of storytellers and, and I don't know how they're gonna dr- I don't know how they're gonna bring it down to five for the Oscars. It's, it's really tough to pick five because yeah. the talent in this pool and these there are so many other great directors that we had to leave out of this list. It was hard to break this down into eight. Yeah, it was, it was such a great year for filmmakers and. The nominations I mean, even, are tough to make. Even Top Gun was so well directed. I know, like Joseph Kaczynski, yeah. I can see him getting a nomination. And yeah. That movie was so well made. And it's incredible the talent that we're dealing with. And we're such an incredible age of filmmaking and storytelling and, and directors and writers. And I think there are a lot of special filmmakers on this list. And we and, actually, we haven't talked about Tar yet. Um, but Tar was absolutely breathtaking. What a movie. I've never seen anything like it before. And Todd Field... He's only made a couple of films, but every one of them is so impactful. And this was really a standout in cinema this year. When I saw it, I was just like, wow. And then the days afterward, I was just like, just kept thinking about it. And I was like, everything he did, whether it be the design of the film or the direction, the camera work, the uh, the music, the angles, the direction of the actors. and But how he wanted to show this this story from Lydia... In her perspective, and uh, she's a f- obviously a flawed individual, but you just felt for her, and you just were there along with her on the journey, and it felt like nothing was done without reason. And I just found the direction of that film to be just glorious. And what Scorsese recently came out saying that the clouds lifted and parted when he <laughs> saw Tar in the future of cinema and film. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> Something like We've that. We've been talking Tar up for over a month. It's an incredible yeah. movie that no one saw. I mean, two million global. I mean, domestic box office. Yeah, two was, million. Like, was that two hundred thousand people saw it less in America? That, less than that, probably. It's sad. That's sad. Yeah. It's uh, an incredible film. Yeah. Go watch. It. You haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. But Anthony, who won Best Director from us? I'll tell you, Jim. The director of the year. What's it called? Is it? Is that the category now? Director of the year. Best director <laughs> of twenty twenty two is. Hails from South Korea, Park Chan-wook for Decision to Leave. Congratulations, Park. Park. Park Huge fan. So happy you're here to accept this award in person. Welcome to our set, Park. The Golden (laughs) Idol is here. He's sitting down. (laughs) All right, see you later. Thanks, pal. Uh, And obviously, this is what, the fourth award for Decision to Leave so far this episode? Something like that. It really is an amazing film. Uh, Park Chan-wook is an incredible director. And South Korean cinema is really probably killing it's like one of the top if not the top country for production of film right now i think with the creativity the freedom they have as filmmakers to as writers uh how incredible the artists are and the stories they're telling there are just so powerful profound and interesting and challenging to audiences and not like anything you've seen before this is this is a detective mystery romance film but you've never seen anything like this before it hits it has all the elements you've seen a thousand times but he twists them he spins them in a new way he did the same thing with the handmaid and i mean it's just a remarkable piece of cinema i found his direction to be really the highlight of the year for directors he actually also won the the palme d'or at Cannes. well deserved too Oftentimes, the director, best director winners that can never win an Oscar. That's that's actually pretty rare, rare. And oftentimes, they don't even get nominated. Like it's just, I'm not sure how the judging is done in the Academy and why it's so different from Can. But it's that's just the way it is. I doubt Park Chan Wook gets nominated for an Oscar this year. But I think South Korean cinema is so strong, and he is he along with Bong Joon Ho are the strongest voices in that art form in that country and. I am just so in awe and impressed and 
just emotionally devastated, artistically invigorated, inspired by the film he made this year. And I couldn't recommend it enough to everyone who listens to the show to watch Decision to Leave. Heck yeah. Everything Anthony said. <laughs> Doubled. <laughs> Congrats, Park Shea Book. All right, moving on to, is it my turn? It's your turn, man. Best actor in a leading role. Ooh, we yeah, actually we narrowed this down to five. Yes, yes, we did. For this category, the nominees are Colin Farrell in The Bad Cheese of Inna Sharon, Austin Butler for Elvis, Brendan Fraser for The Whale, Park High Il, Decision to Leave, and Alexander Skarsgård for The Northman. I'm feeling like the suspense. The latter, Alexander Skarsgård, very under Flew under the appreciated, radar. underrated yeah. performance. He's really good yeah. in The Northman. He's, he brought so much yeah, to that role. He is. Not just the physicality, but emotional depth of the character as mm -hmm. well. Park Hyil, so phenomenal in Decision to Leave, leading that movie. Such an interesting character, new take on like a detective in that kind of story. Brendan Fraser broke my heart in the whale i left that theater weeping that final 20 minutes of the character if you've seen the film i don't want to spoil it but it is a, a roller coaster of a performance and my goodness he is terrific the resurgence and the rebound of brendan fraser is going to be glorious austin butler really solidified himself as one of the most talented young actors today it's clear why denis villeneuve gave him the role of fight ralta without even had auditioning yeah. for the role for Dune Part 2. Yeah, they just had lunch, apparently. Yeah, it's, it's pretty incredible. I'm pretty sure he did the same thing with Timmy. Timmy didn't really have to audition for He wanted Paul. Timmy, first choice. He yeah. Was, yeah, it was his number one choice after seeing Call Me By Your Name. But, I mean, Elvis was a kind of like an, an actor's, uh, like... I think it's the best Elvis I've seen. And it's, it, it's it, felt, there, it but, felt like I was watching Elvis. But for being an actor and, and getting to take on a role like this, it's just probably going to be a dream role to do because it's such a complex performance. So many scenes, so many sets, so many wardrobe changes. What he probably went through with their hair and makeup, but the performance is just so nuanced and had he had to do a lot in this role. There, and there's the singing, a lot. He did all of the singing. He, they didn't blend in other singers to fix his voice. They didn't record with someone who sounded like Elvis, Austin Butler did all of the singing and all of the guitar playing in this film. And they even, for all the sequences, especially like the Las Vegas sequences, they actually filmed entire concerts. And so Lars Berman would just, for three hours, record Austin Butler, put on an Elvis performance. And they're gonna actually release, they're gonna release a concert movie of Austin Butler from, Very this, cool. from this film. That's how much singing he did and how good and accurate his voice was to Elvis's voice. And I found that that's just something that very few people talk about when it comes to actors who play musicians. But to be able to actually do the singing is actually quite rare for actors. And then Colin Farrell for The Banshees of Inna Sharon, a career great. best performance. Now, he had a great year because him being the Penguin and the Batman, he was terrific in yeah. that movie as well. Too. After the, Yang, yeah. The accident, yeah. So he had a great 2022. And I think he's just... He's so, always been one of my favorite actors. So impressive right. in the Banshees of Inna Sharon. You couldn't take your eyes off him in this role, even though he plays just kind of like the island idiot, a kind of a doofus who's just ignorantly happy with his very simple life. And he just plays it to perfection, the tragedy of the character. He broke my heart. He's yeah. really incredible. The physical acting as well as the nonverbal acting, what he can just do with his, his eyes and his eyebrows. Is, it's just <laughs> eyebrows, on, on a yeah. different level. Yeah. And... He's a terrific actor, and 
it, I don't think many actors could have pulled off the tone for this character so well, but he really nailed it. Yeah, he made it work. Absolutely. And the winner of best actor in a leading role is going to go to Brendan Fraser. The King is back. What a gut-wrenching performance from Brendan as in The Whale, Darren Aronofsky's latest film. It was a character where the, screw, the camera doesn't leave yeah. at all. This location, we're in just one location, the whole entire film. It's not easy to do that as a filmmaker because the entire story and the whole structure of the film is dependent on one actor and one character, one performance, and it hinges on that. And Brendan Fraser really did something special to be able to carry an entire movie like that, basically sitting down the entire time as this character and just seeing what he goes through on a day-to-day basis as well as what's happened to his life and the decisions he's made in his past and just looking back on one's life as well as battling with faith and life after death as well as trying to reconcile mistakes that you've made in your past as well as living your true self and your true life and accepting yourself for who you are and hoping that society will accept you for who you are and your family to accept you but and but looking back on one's mistakes and their selfish deeds and the way they've hurt people in their life, the most important ones to them. It's just a huge character study that I still am just like depressed about. It's just so tragic. Yeah. And also the physicality of the performance was amazing. And he really embodied the physical aspect of that character, Charlie. And there are a few scenes in that film where I was just devastated. I think the, what do you call it? The binging scene. Yeah, that was was horrific. That was like a horror movie. Yeah, it was really horrifying. And then also... There's a scene where his ex-wife is walking out the door and he just calls back to her and he's weeping and he's all he's all red and he's just so raw and he poured so much emotion into it and I was just heartbroken the whole film and Brendan Fraser I've never seen him act like that before he's always been a very good actor but he had never done anything on this caliber of in terms of performance. And that's obviously, I mean, choices he's made with the movies he's made. You know, just it's not every movie he's done has been like this. But uh, he always had the potential, and it was really great to see him showcase what he can do. His full range as an actor was finally put on display. And Aronofsky really cast it so well because this is a guy who's just been dying to get back and get another shot at Hollywood. And you can see he put everything he had into this performance because so much is riding on it for him personally in his life because he needs to he wants to prove to the world i'm sure that he still has the talent and he deserves to be back in the good graces of hollywood making movies with great filmmakers again agreed agreed congratulations to Brendan Brendan fraser come in and accept your award pal (laughs) you're you're pretty tall (laughs) (laughs) next up we have best actress in a leading role very juicy category this year a lot of great performances we have Michelle Yeoh for Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, Mia Goth for Pearl, Kate Blanchett for Tar, Tong Wei for Decision to Leave, Viola Davis for The Woman King, and Taylor Russell for Bones and All. Bones and All. Bones and All. So these roles, like I said, they had so much scenery-chewing quality to them. They allowed for the actresses to really stretch their abilities and explore so much range with both the acting the physicality the voices and these are just some of the most talented actors working today i thought what Kate Blanchett did was just otherworldly and Lydia Tarr felt like a real famous human being that like would be like a 
person people would celebrate. And it was like a documentary. Yeah, the opening it, 15 minutes on yeah, stage, I thought was a real person. It was just unbelievable. And then Mia Goth playing as Pearl was mind-blowing in that huge monologue and then freezing that smile for the credit roll for like five minutes. And her accent is pitch perfect. And she plays the manic on the verge of like losing her sanity so well. Tang Wei was absolutely devastating in Decision to Leave. It's a very complex role. Lots of layers to her character. And there's a lot of mystery shrouded around her. And she plays that perfectly where the audience is never quite sure about her until about the end of the film. And then Michelle Yeoh, as the lead in everything overall all at once, what a remarkable performance. She's obviously a legendary actress. She's been at it for a long time. And I'm glad that American audiences are really celebrating her. She's been nominated before and she's been in Oscar nominated films before, but she's the lead of this and it's rare. Um, and I've seen so many interviews where she said she just felt so lucky to get this role at her age, to be able to be the, the lead of this film, to, to be, to kick butt in this film. So much fun and incredible, but also she balanced comedy and drama in an amazing way. The first 20 minutes of this movie is hilarious, but also heartbreaking. It's because the dialogue is so snappy and the situations are so funny, but then you're also showing the she's about to be divorced by her husband and she rejects her daughter for who she is and uh, she's still like beholden to her to her father and she's got so much guilt and so much resentment and so much regret boiling up inside of her. But still, it's, it's very funny at times and it, it's such a difficult thing to do as an actor to to do that and she was just so remarkable just in the opening of the film but then as the emotional stakes get so high by the third act and she just broke me and i was sobbing wreck at the end of this movie and i felt so much joy at the end of this movie and it's all really comes down to michelle yo who really made the movie work completely and then viola davis one of the best actresses of all time yeah. Um, Oscar winner as the woman king, really powerful performance. Taylor Russell, so impressive in Bones and All. I'd never really seen her in anything before, but she really carried this movie on her shoulders with terrific direction from Luca Guadagnino, of course. But Taylor Russell just proved to me immediately within like 20 minutes. I'm like, this this girl's a star. She's yeah. going to be a superstar. She's incredible. Very talented actress. And now the winner for best lead actress 2022 is Michelle Yeoh. Of course. It was a tough choice. Yeah, it For was, me, it was, it was really a, between Kate and Michelle. Her, yeah. But I think just the what she brought to the role. Yeah, I just went off of Evelyn. Yeah. Was, was really incredible and sensational. That movie is a phenomenon culturally because of Michelle Yeoh. Obviously, great directing and great story from the Daniels. But I mean, Michelle Yeoh, people are falling back in love with her because she's been in obviously big movies in America before and Crushing Tiger, Hidden Dragon. She was phenomenal in that, but that was 20 years ago that the last time she was in like a, a major big film like that in a, in a leading role. Yeah. Um, she's obviously been in other films for sure. But this was, like you said, a role that was sort of meant for her, you know, originally written for Jackie Chan, but then the Daniels decided we, could, we should make this a female character. And Michelle Yeoh is the obvious choice bringing in not just great acting, but the martial arts background as well. And I, I love the performance in every minute. And Evelyn is endlessly likable. 
despite being hopelessly ordinary compared to all the other Evelyns in the universe. You're the most ordinary. <laughs> you aren't good at anything. <laughs> but she's so likable at the same time. Even though she's so flawed, too. Yeah. And, and clearly has, in a way, is ruining the lives of everyone she loves. When you watch this movie and the performance, it makes you want to be a better person and, and accept people in your life or, or just go back on this or, or change the decisions you've made in your life, whether they've affected people or not. Yeah. And it just makes you reflect on yourself, this role mm -hmm. by Michelle Yeoh. Exactly. Really impressive. Congrats, Michelle. She's also here to accept the award. <laughs> Have a great day. See you later. We'll call They're you. They're always just so in and out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll call you an Uber. <laughs> now... The final award. It's time for the big guns. Of Raiders of the Lost Oscars. We have Best Picture. And the nominees are Top Gun Maverick, The Fablemans, Decision to Leave, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Banshees of Inna Sharon, 13 Lives, Tar, Nope. And all quiet on the Western Front. And Morbius. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot that. Oh, we've, we. I got to go back and redo some of these yeah, categories yeah, now, man. We forgot about that. We've been talking about all these movies all day. Except for 13 Lies, if you haven't seen that. we Actually, we brought yeah, that we earlier. Up, yeah. But, I mean, there's not really much more to say about all these movies besides what a terrific year for film. Yeah. And, obviously, this is just our opinion and everyone... This is just our favorite movie. We're not... We haven't seen every movie this yeah. year, also. We yeah. haven't seen every single movie. I've seen, I think I've seen almost every one. You've seen every movie this year? The important like ones. <laughs> <laughs> the Oscar contenders. But this and, is the list. This yeah. is our list. Yeah, yeah. And I think you guys might be surprised by what we pick. I know that everyone might I be, know you're all thinking, thinking what we pick. Think, they're thinking we're going to pick something, but <laughs> we might not pick that. Or maybe we will pick it. Maybe we will. Who knows? <laughs> all right. <laughs> the winner of Best Picture. For the second annual Raiders of the Lost Oscars goes to Tar. What a sensational movie. Just like Martin Scorsese, the clouds lifted as we watched Tar in theaters. What a remarkable performance from Kate Blanchett. What a great script and story. Perfectly balancing social critiques in a contemporary setting in the modern world and what we're talking about in the world with an incredible story and an incredible character study that I think was probably the best character of the year with Lydia Tarr. I think so. So well written. Yeah. So well acted. And just from a craft standpoint, Tarr was sensational. Yeah, when you look at it, the overall picture and every beat of it, it's overall, I think, just the greatest film of the year. It's my personal favorite. Uh, well, no, Top Gun Maverick's my personal favorite, but... Uh, if I'm going to pick like what I think the best piece of film is this year, I think it's Tar. It's really special. It's one of the greatest character pieces I've ever seen. Uh, Kate Blanchett was mesmerizing. Todd Field's directing was perfect and so interesting. Lots of great long takes. Uh, lots of things to say about the culture, about uh, looking back on history and how we should judge other people, as well as the growing climate of social media and the negative effects it can have on people. But then also... The trials and tribulations of power and the abuse of power. And Lydia Tarr is a person who abuses her power time and time again. And she's finally paying the cost of it. It was just a fascinating self-destruction storyline that it's, it can be done well, but it's pretty rare. I was just enthralled from start to finish. And the craftsmanship, the cinematography, uh, amazing. And then the orchestral sequences were just so powerful. 
But ultimately, it lies on the character of Lydia Tar. That's what this film is. That's the the name of the movie is called Tar. It's, that's what this movie is. It's about the character, and it was an absolutely fascinating portrait of a human being who makes devastating choices in their lives. It ends with this disillusionment, um, destructive story arc that you never saw coming, and you see this contrast of a person where they started being celebrated by the world and being at the top of their game and it ends on them destroyed barely thriving and just barely alive anymore and yet she's still Lydia Tarr and she's still doing what she does and that's composing music teaching music in a regard and I found the entire film to just be stunning if you haven't seen it couldn't recommend it enough and it was my favorite this year gonna say and that wraps oh, wow. Raiders of the Lost Oscars 2023. Thank you so much for tuning into our awards show. Be sure to get tickets to our live show before they are sold out. In person, get tickets at DynastyTypewriter.com. It's going January 21st, the calendar right there. You can find our show. As well as if you want to watch the live broadcast anywhere around the world as it's happening in Los Angeles, go to moments.co slash Raiders of the Lost. And you can get digital live stream broadcast tickets from there. We're only 11 days away. Whew. It's going to be fun. Let us all know what your favorite movie was this year and what you think will win Best Picture at the Oscars. Take care, everybody. See you next time. This episode of Raiders of the Lost Podcast was executive produced by our chosen one patrons. Luke Exelston, Tyler McFly, Darren Singleton, Anthony DeMeo, John A. Graz, Becca Keen, Cody Moen, Benjamin Cook, Calvin Cam, thank you for watching Raiders of the Lost Podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button, hit the like button as well, notifications for sure. Listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere you can listen to podcasts. And be sure to check out this other content we have on our YouTube channel.